Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. COVID-21. COVID-21, that's like 10 weeks. It's been a long time. Just to be clear, we're going to do two more weeks where we do two episodes a week, and then we go back to just Tuesdays. Just Tuesdays. We will still, of course, do the bullet points on Tuesdays. We will still do the journal update things on the weekends. And our regular addiction podcast. Either that or we'll move that to Tuesday nights, too. That way we won't have to work so much. So today, today it started out. Is that an echo? Today, it was an echo. Uh, Get it? <laughs> yeah. Today we did the echo, and we, we had did. Renee Critchlow, MD, the MAFP president, gave just a short little talk on equality and equity. Yes, Kurt. Do you want to give the difference? <laughs> I told her I would, but I'm going to let you do it. Of course, you are. So she started with this whole equity thing and using something from history, the electrification of rural, basically this Rural Electrification Act, whereby in the early 50s, they noted that only about 10% of rural America had electricity. By the end of the 50s, early 60s, 95% had electricity. So what this did was they put resources where there was need. So that was to make things equitable. It was not equal, however. They put much more money into these rural areas to get electricity than they did in the cities. So per capita, per capita more was spent rurally. rurally. So it was not equal, but it was equitable. And so the whole point is to improve the production and contribution in those underserved, at that point, rural underserved areas. So long-term ends up paying back much higher And that's kind of where, you know, the whole health disparities and inequities lie. And that's kind of what her point was that moving forward, getting through COVID, getting through all the protests and everything is that as a country, we're going to need to start investing where it's needed, even though that might not necessarily be equal, but it will be equitable. So everybody can be more productive. That was the point. Equity, not equality. There you go. All right. So then and we moved on. Man, her last name? Dr. Dr. Sakina Nakvi. Nakvi. Really cool. Boy, was she a very fun, smart person. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Fun, smart person. Yeah, so she did training in Pakistan and then residency and fellowship and all that at Hennepin Healthcare. Yeah. At that time, Hennepin County Medical Center. But... So she's a lung and uh, she's involved in Fairview Lung Care and Pulmonary Service and also involved now in ICU survivorship, which uh, started that way, but now they're getting it going as more of a COVID survivorship. And I think it'll be both. Well, and the whole point of this survivorship is that understanding that as the country ages, the average age in ICUs all over the country is greater than or equal to age 55. If people get out of the ICU, you're not the same person that went into the ICU. And there's often you're not. And with COVID, it kind of jump-started this whole 
survivorship because these are people who are surviving the ICU and all the countless different parts of the body, different systems that are impacted, you know, and really the average ICU stay prior to COVID was, you know, that three days on event. Now it's 51 to 55 days in some cases. And I liked her statement, ARDS, a word I never thought CBS would talk about. Yeah. And I wrote that down. Yeah. And I think that's pretty uh, amazing. And especially when you look at the patients that are coming out of these ICUs, often they're not going back to home. They're going some other place, a nursing home or a rehab facility to get back. And and they may have many different types of deficits coming out. Uh, imagine if you're on a vent for 50 days, you're weak, you're malnourished, you're maybe you've had some delirium, you're mentally you're just not the same. So really this is a huge public burden and... Uh, uh, she often felt like they were dumping these patients back onto their PCPs out in rural, uh, you know, rural America and some of the small uh, clinics because there's really nowhere else to send them. Nowhere to put them. And then, you know, we asked this question early on before we had our first kind of transitional person about post ICU talk. You know, when do you do follow up? When do you do PFTs? When what is the long term? And of course, nobody knows the long term after COVID because nobody really has ever been on a ventilator that long. And I just thought her pointing out the patient that was discharged from the University of Minnesota, an Ironman, 41-year-old, has an Ironman, Ironman races, and... Iron people. Iron people? But it's called the Ironman. I can, you know, be a female and acknowledge that. And just how different. He he just was so weak. And that's got to be mentally frustrating. And you're so used to being this super athlete. Now you have to learn to walk again. Yeah, and of course, she talked a little bit about 50 to 70% of these survivors had some cognitive impairment. 60 to 80% were functionally impaired. And and over half, you know, with PTSD, anxiety, depression. Uh, and that's just them. I mean, what about their family members and, uh, you know, significant others? So it's, uh, it's a big thing. And the definition, I like this, this PICS, post-intensive care syndrome. Newer worsening impairments. And then what Kurt just mentioned, mental, cognitive, physical health. That can persist months to years. Yeah. Sad. So uh, so that's I think that was really interesting. She talked for a while, too, about just how the staff does with these types of situations, dealing with patients and families. And, you know, some of these decisions that are made, you've got these elderly patients in their 90s, they want to be full codes, not really understanding exactly what they're in for. They're, uh, they're cognitively impaired and... It's difficult to talk to the family or try and talk to the patient. Many of them are on ventilators. Um, really they're hypoxic, so therefore yeah. even more cognitively impaired. Yeah, so really difficult. Difficult. So you've got, you know, these care teams that are kind of advocating for the patients, but uh, I don't know. Often, you know, the question is, are are they being treated humanely? Uh, it's tough. You no, know, and it's hard because you have a patient who's confused. Of course, they want to live. You have a family who can't come visit who doesn't get to see what's going on all the time and they only can see these snippets. And then you have the healthcare workers who are actually afraid to go to work because, you know, especially at the beginning with the PPE things, there's healthcare workers dying in parts of the country. And so she talked about the anxieties of these healthcare workers does feed into the patient and family perspectives. And that's hard to, to hide your own emotions and... Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those weird dichotomies. Yeah. 
And the ICUs are changed. I mean, she she made that quite clear, uh, making them negative pressure, uh, the noise, uh, the fact that you have difficulty talking to patients, the majority intubated, uh, language barriers, um, just so many things that have just made this whole thing so much different than really anything we've been through. Well, and the, the amount of covering in PPE, you know, they talk about healthcare workers putting their pictures on their gowns so people even know who they who they are because they can see you versus when you go into a patient's room in full gown and masks and shields and, you know, you're not really a person. And even she, she kind of gave a story of a patient who, you know, these rooms like Kurt mentioned are closed and they're noisy, but to get into the room to care for a patient acutely, that takes time because you got to get all this stuff on and you got to get in there and... It's just a totally different world. So she talked a little bit then about the team. Like, well, how are we going to work this if we were following these patients up? And they talked a little bit about the team that they had envisioned. And unfortunately, there's, uh, of course, not payment for this type of thing. It's a uh, a lot of the people that have been starting this uh, in their group are volunteering their time. And uh, and she was talking about, you know, nurse practitioners, kind of the coordinator, clinical pharmacists, psychologists, you know, pulmonary critical care physicians and case managers. And and these people putting their time into uh, patients who have obviously very special needs following these ICU stays that are prolonged. Yeah, I like that. You know, within a week, patients are having this follow-up, whether it's in-person or telehealth. But imagine getting off a ventilator after being on it for a month. You go home, you're weak, you don't exactly know what happened to you. Your family doesn't really know what happened to you because they weren't there. And even if they watched you on an iPad the whole darn time, they still don't really know. And so having this team that can sit down and go through all of your potential new meds or what happened to my old meds, why am I not on them now? And then also have that provider to actually explain what happened, the whole story of your admission, the whole like what happened to you, um, to therefore kind of normalize it rather than hide it and then help you know, with this PTSD and normalize and give coping things to patients. So I think the kind of the summary of it is they're really looking at how can they best really serve these patients when they're out of here. And I think uh, this is an idea that uh, has been born really with ICU patients in the past. There's there's different academic centers that have these teams, uh, but there's, like in many things, uh, there's payer delays. So uh, how do you form this team and how do you get traction to show that it's going to really benefit the patients in the long run when it can't be paid for? Well, and, you know, in part of the whole thing, like you had mentioned earlier, was to kind of help that primary care doctor at the end who's going to, you know, get this patient back and how there's this letter back to the primary, like consider these things when or don't even think about it with this patient when or this is what you can expect Rather than me getting this patient back, kind of freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, and then me ordering a whole bunch more things that they don't really need. So that's obviously not very good use of healthcare resources either. Yeah, and I think at the end she talked about how they were going to maybe structure the follow-up, um, you know, kind of pre-visit uh, planning as patients are ready to be discharged and trying to make those visits uh, somewhat staggered to kind of follow up on these patients and you know, really wrapping, you know, I think like many different uh, types of services, kind of wrapping these services around the patient. <gasps> the medical home model? I wasn't going to say it. It's kind of like the H-drug. 
Um, Except this is actually cost effective and works. Yeah. And they get a lot of things in the pipeline. They're talking about, you know, survivorship support groups. And I think from COVID standpoint, probably not a terrible idea. I think she said they don't even have to socially distance. Yeah, because they can all be together. They've all been sick. But uh, to be honest, I'm not sure that's completely true because we have had recent cases of potential. No, but think about yourself being a survivor of a COVID, especially in a severe case where you've been so separated and isolated from everybody in a room all by yourself that's closed doors with lots of weird noises. And you survive, you're confused, you have PTSD, you can hardly walk again, and then you have the opportunity to go in a room with other people who get it. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to care. I'm going to be like, give me a hug. <laughs> you're not a hugger. Uh, yeah, I'm not a hugger. But uh, but really, I think that's kind of the the hope is that they set those things up and and really look at what are they? What is the longitudinal care going to look like at that point? And they're really trying to set up those services. So um, I think there's more to come. Uh, if this pandemic kind of st- stays going for a while and we're looking at 12 to 16 more months where it's coming and going. Wow. Well, there's Debbie Downer, negative Nancy. Uh, again, uh, yes, Dr. Osterholm, you know, he's still predicting this stuff. And we heard Dr. Nasca mentioned that he kind of predicted the first you're part, right so. you're right so we should all buy stock in him um and just kind of the whole healthcare what, what would, system what would mike say what would mike do wwmd okay <laughs> anyway but again there's no this bundled payment model and we've seen this for medical home stuff for years and uh, maybe Dr. Jeff Schiff needs to come back and work on that payment model i think he did that in minnesota with the pcmh but that's the whole issue and what do you do? And so hopefully things this, you know, and I think the first time we talked to Dr. Nakvi and then again, now she did say COVID might've been the benefit in this type of survivorship program because it kind of jumpstarted that need. Yeah. People, people know there's a need. So can we find other ways to use it after COVID? Probably. So then we moved on to our ever favorite faster running partner of Kurt Devine. Yes, Chris also Hagen. Also known as Chris Hagen. We've tried to replace him, but no one will come on for the high pay of zero. So he's still coming. <laughs> so he did what we really didn't want him to do right away. He tried to be TMZ and talk about the H drug. He talked about the H drug again. And, uh, of course, there's also all kinds of controversy. Retracted studies, uh, reviews critical of, you know, some of the hydro... Did I almost say it? You're of almost the, dead. Of the H drug. and So it, there's really a lot going on. Uh, at, but again, as of yet, there have not been any significant studies that show significant benefit. Uh, and, and I think that just continues to be the case. And a lot of these studies he pointed out, we actually also pointed out on our last, you know, bonus review COVID kind of podcast thing this weekend. Whoa, I lost my words. Um, and really the only good study that hasn't been proven flawed at this point dealing with the H drug is this whole how it's not effective as post-exposure for prophylaxis. Yeah, and that was so, out of the U of M. It was out of the U of M. Yeah. And actually, I think that's interesting because when we talked to the infectious disease doctor from the U of M on the ECHO a couple of weeks ago, we asked him about prophylaxis, and he just flat out said, no, it no. doesn't work. And so he obviously knew this was coming. Well, and then there... Well, <laughs> Of course he I did. mean, you know, he knew this study right, was coming. Right, right. He's going to come back in a couple of weeks. We'll have to bring that up with him again. But 
the, there was a lot of critics, even for this one study that didn't pan out, there's still a lot of critics. So I guess we're probably going to hear about it again. It's just going to keep going. Um, but next they talked about the IL-1 drugs uh, showing promise. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, there's been a number of studies, but there was actually one in Italy, but a small number of patients, 52 patients. Uh, and these were patients who had moderate or severe ARDS. And they also had these CRPs that were sky high, over 100. Yeah. Uh, ferritins were really high, or both. And uh, they all had non-invasive ventilation outside the ICU. Yeah, and I, you know, the 21-day results from this few patients that did show some statistical significance was that the patients who did get the high-dose IL-6, the anakinra, did have a greater decrease in their CRPs, a greater increase in respiratory function. So this was statistically better than the control group, um, meaning the survival ship was better than in the control group. Um, the ventilation didn't change between the two groups. So better survival. So I might take that one. Yeah. The, the funny thing about this study is that all these people were also getting the H drug and lopinavir. And lopinavir, lopinavir, you know, there's been a lot of studies with lopinavir, and I don't recall any of them being positive. But uh, That's an easy assumption, if you don't remember, because nothing has really been positive. But then he went to tocilizumab, tocilizumab. That's how tocilizumab is how Dr. Noska said it. It must be right then. Yep, the IL-6 inhibitor. Um, this His quote, I'm quoting Chris Hagen, First drug to show actual survival benefits, end quote. Yeah. We forgot to ask him which drugs he would take if he was in the hospital, but well, I think he's adding this one. I think he is. Um, but anyway, so this tocilizumab, tocilizumab, Keep basically trying. their results of baseline. So they looked at patients who had the baseline CRP greater than 150, so even higher uh, if they did not have a CRP that was greater than 150, they did have fewer benefits. So this was much more promising in people who had much more significant disease. So, and yeah. the primary outcome, I should say, was the time of death and the secondary ICU admission. So I guess if my CRP is over 150, please give me. I'll sneak med. it into the hospital. It's probably not on formulary. Yeah, we'll track it down on the street. I'm sure it would be the real thing. You so, know, <laughs> at that point, yeah, whatever. Matter. So he also mentioned a little the NIH guidelines and the fact that there's, well, Nothing no updates. Yeah, In a month. Uh, yeah, like a month. But then we switched over to Joe Halley from the Schick. State. And hospital command center, control, whatever center, whatever. They yeah. are the incident commandos from the... I said commando. <laughs> they're, they're like com medical commandos, but Joe's not a doctor. <laughs> so uh, Joe says things are looking good, and uh, we're, getting vent we're getting vents. Uh, I did like how he said that they're decompressing some of the ICUs. Yeah. So some of these higher level of care places, they're decompressing the ICUs, not because they're needing to increase more COVID access in these hospitals, but because they need to make room for more of the traumas. So the other reasons people typically come in to the hospital. And so, yeah. Yeah, so he, he didn't have a ton to say. Things mm -mm. are calming down. There's The cases haven't gone up, but it, he kind of hinted that it might be a little while until we see to, see much from the from protests. the different, uh, yeah, the protests and such. But He did point out, though, that these protesters, for the most part, were 
they maybe hadn't been socially distanced, but they were wearing masks. Yeah, so we'll see. Which is better than most people at the grocery store or gas station. Yeah, that I've been in. Um, no outbreaks in any long-term care facilities uh, right now. And uh, there's been a lot of testing. And, you know, he didn't really mention all the testing they did at the armories uh, kind of as a prevalence test. There was 10,000 tests done, but I, I'd love to see that data. But uh, sadly... Maybe it's still pending like all of our tests. Yeah, sadly, uh, we're not going to see much of Joe anymore. Uh, it's going to be just Dr. Hick. I think he's going to be the only person in the building at Chick. Oh, that's not true. I'm just making that up. But uh, Joe's going home, back to St. Cloud, to Centric Care. So uh, if they get an uptick in cases again, he said he'd be back. And I'll so rearrange back. We'll light a candle and wait for him. Oh, goodness gracious. I did like the other comment he made that, you know, we went from this crisis mode with COVID to now this maintenance and thoughtful planning Kind of wow. corny, but I liked it. Oh, very thoughtful. Yeah. But Hick is still the medical advisor to the governor. He's still talking with the feds on Thursdays. So, yeah. Yep. So that's all we got for today is so sedate today. Yeah, it was kind of a Debbie Downer day. Yeah. But so, a good, I mean, it was a great talk and great, I mean, the whole thing was good. It's just kind of <laughs> not uplifting. Yeah. Things are slowly moving down, but... What's the future? Still nobody knows. So what if- our future, on Tuesday, the COVID Echo has a dermatologist from the University of Minnesota. So it'll be interesting how that differs from the California dermatologist and how much things have potentially changed in derm world in the last few weeks. Less sun damage than in California. Oh, you're talking COVID. And then next Thursday, Dr. Nakvi comes back talking about a little of the inequities and disparities seen in COVID. She was great today, too. I I just can't say enough about that. That This was probably the best one we've had. I say that every week. (laughs) For the 21st time. Um, And what else, uh, Dr. Amanda Noska, we just did a podcast with her. If you didn't see that one. I would go back and listen because she called gave like a super special echo yeah, or super special podcast, COVID, something yep. like that. So it's all about COVID, just kind of a rambling discussion of COVID. And uh, there might be a slight amount of humor. Oh so my gosh. Find out how cows funny. and COVID go together. Yeah. The next Wednesday on our regular echo, for those of you who want to be involved with that, you can email mnobioidecho at catholichealth.net. But we are doing... We have a presenter, uh, Jennifer Hemans, who works in a pain clinic in St. Cloud, talking about how people use buprenorphine for pain, not just for opioid use disorder. So I think we're all done. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.